Welcome to What If So What, the podcast where we ask what's possible with digital and figure out how to make it real in your business. I'm Jim Hertzfeld. And I'm Kim Chopek. We're part of Proficient's digital strategy team, and today we'll ask what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? In this podcast, we've attempted to answer some pretty big questions for business leaders like what is digital and what is strategy? While we feel pretty good about our answers, today's episode highlights something we probably haven't emphasized enough in our discussions, the importance of empathy when it comes to digital strategy and leadership. Today, we talked to Robert Nelms, head of digital at Assurant, an insurance company who is redefining how digital products are delivered to the market. He gives us his perspective on what is digital and what is strategy and points out some key things we might have missed. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, Kim. We're really happy that you're with us today. Robert, share a little bit of your background with our listeners and how you made the jump from marketing to digital. Sure. So I I started my career in marketing. I really liked the creative side of it. I liked the, the psychology of it. And as I went through my career, I found myself really owning all the all the digital assets for whatever company I was involved in. Initially, it was under the guise of managing the brand and how we presented ourselves to our customers. But I started to gravitate more and more to the technology, to the assets themselves, less about getting customers there and telling them what our company was about, but it was more about enabling them to complete the tasks that they came to us for. So it really became less about what a digital asset looked like or sounded like or how it read, but what did it what did it mean for the customer? What did it help the customer, you know, conduct their business with us or was it making things more difficult for them? So as a result, because that's where my interest took me, I saw digital as really being the future of marketing. I thought an evolved marketeer was somebody who would eventually own the technical pieces and the digital pieces. And I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by people who were very capable when it came to technology and architecture. So what I didn't know, I I just learned very quickly. And I assume it wasn't called digital back then. Or was it? (laughs) (laughs) What was it? You know, it really, it 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 was just marketing in the beginning. And then it became digital marketing. And then we just dropped the marketing. Um, right. <laughs> that's really as simple as it was. Although marketing still exists, they just have a specific role to play. Yeah, absolutely. And and you talk a lot about, I think it's really interesting what it looks like versus what it's intended to facilitate in terms of assets. We talk a lot on the podcast about digital initiatives needing to be informed by a solid strategy. Do you agree with that? Was that kind of in the back of your mind as you made that transition or or no? Oh, that's a that's a tough question because strategy itself has kind of changed. You know, even when I was in marketing, it was really when brand was the big word and that was your strategy. It was who you were you know, what the soul of the company was, was, was what you needed to present. And so that became the compass or the barometer and you measured everything you did against that. And as digital came along, things had to move faster and faster and faster and faster. And we had to get more and more and more out the door. We had more and more data to look at. So we had to change and optimize on a daily, sometimes hourly basis. So in that mix, in that fury, you kind of lost track of the brand or it became easy to lose track of the brand. When you move into digital and you're owning the assets, time didn't slow down, except now your ability to change something like a website or an app or something that had a lot of technology behind it 
became more and more complex. So strategy changed. You had to look at something else as your as your northern star. And that started to look like the customer. What does the customer need to do? And is it easy for them to do it or not? And so strategy was really about looking at the performance of a site, looking at customer effort, but it was also having to cast yourself out six months to a year, sometimes even three years out and say, what is the customer going to need to do in three years from now? And because technology is so complicated, we had to make sure that our architectural strategy was sound and it didn't become dated to the point where we wouldn't be able to make those quick changes three years from now. That is what organizations continue to struggle with today. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. We've seen it across our projects and our clients. And it's really this drive to deliver, 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 even if technology hasn't been architected to make it <laughs> easy. H- how do you facilitate that strategic thinking at the architecture level, at the customer experience level, when the mandate, like you said, of most digital teams today is faster, more deliver, deliver? Yeah, well, it's interesting because we we take a lot of our direction from the business or the product management team. And they're thinking about their their profitability, their revenue. They're thinking about their clients and their customers. And they're not necessarily thinking about the technology. And so we we come to the table and we have to anticipate. We have to anticipate where they're going to go. And sometimes what we have to say and, and it comes across like a limitation to them. It slows them down. It costs more money. You know, all those things that they, that they don't want to hear, but you have to have the conversations. And, and what I've learned, you know, I've seen companies where the technologists will not be transparent and they won't necessarily say the things that are hard to hear because they know it leads to difficult conversations. And sometimes they take shortcuts to help meet the needs of that product manager. But the problem with that is you'll soon find yourself on the other side of that where you've created a lot of tech debt. And so the very next thing they want is even more difficult to get. So you just have to be really transparent in the beginning. And I like to use the term, you know, approaching things with eyes wide open. Just lay things on the table as very as factually as you possibly can, not bring any anything else into that conversation, uh, emotion, opinions, that sort of thing. Uh, make sure everybody's aware of the decision that has to be made. And a lot of times it's their decision to make in terms of the product managers. We're just there to present the options and present the pros and cons of each. Right. I, I, I love that. That's such a healthy way to approach it. And I think we've seen some of the best conversations happen, like you said, when there's full transparency and and choice. Like you said, it's more of a collaboration between digital and product owners to say, we can make this short-term trade-off for long-term gain, or you know, let's do it the right way, but at least everybody's on the, on the same page. Um, but that really depends on, I think, the digital team and the people in the, on the digital team. What's the right role and responsibility of digital teams and organizations today? Is it more IT? Is it more marketing? Do you straddle? What do you think makes a really good digital leader or digital strategist? It really depends on the company and it depends on the ambitions of the company. So for example, there's some companies where you expect digital to be the proactive thinkers and you expect them to almost be on the business side where they're responsible for driving revenue. But there's other companies where they're on the IT side and they're just there to help deliver what the product manager is asking for in the best way possible. 
And they're two totally different roles that require two totally different types of leaders. The former, you need somebody who has pretty strong business acumen, strong drive, really strong leadership abilities because they have to change in large part the way that the business thinks about going to market and and how do they make money. Is digital, for example, a profit center? Do they drive revenue? Or they could be on the operation side where they're really just facilitating the back end. So it, it really varies. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you have someone who can sit in the middle ever and who has kind of a little bit of both sides of the brain that can be a really strong digital leader or digital strategist? What do you think it takes? That probably is a better way to answer your your other question, because that is, I think, where digital sits. And Mm. for me, the transition from marketing to digital was really easy. Somebody from marketing is usually somebody who has a pretty balanced left and right brain. They can be creative. They can be analytical. They can think about the customer. They, they can think about psychology. They can think about how things are perceived. But they also need to understand how things work. And that's the art and science. Marketing is a lot easier to see because it came from more of a creative place. And then they started to utilize data more when digital came along. Now, digital, if you move closer to owning the technology, those skill sets never leave. You really need both. In my career, I've, I've been part of the, the driving digital leadership. And then I've also been more of a support group where we're taking direction from the product managers. But even in my support group, I don't even view myself in that way. I view myself as still the digital leader. And so I'm influencing the product management team as much as I can in whatever role I'm in. And I really, what I'm trying to do is eradicate the line between product ownership and digital and technology even though we've talked about them as being two different things. What I've seen work the best is when my business stakeholders can talk about the work that I'm doing as if I'm doing the talking and they're defending the work, they're defending the time needed, they're defending the cost because they understand it as well as I do. When you get there, when your business can speak on your behalf just as easily as you could, that's when you know that the partnership is working. And that's when you know, you hear a lot about this digital transformation. Digital transformation is not a digital team becoming something else. Digital transformation is your business becoming something else. That is such a great way to phrase that. And that's something that we talk about over and over and over. It's a, it's a cultural shift. It's not a technology. It's not an experience, you know, an individual experience or an interaction. It really is cultural. And you, you talked about this a little before. But maybe you could give an example, brokering a tough conversation between the business and IT or marketing IT to arrive at the right digital solution. Is there a story that sticks out in your mind that you felt was like a turning point to achieving that true partnership? I think we have talked in the past about what digital does and how digital is different from IT. You know, in the beginning, when a company is, is just embracing digital, they sometimes have a hard time understanding what is different between digital and IT. So we would sometimes come to the table and say, we can build something, but it's going to take this much time and it's going to cost this much, which is sticker shock to a lot of people because that's not what they're used to. So in the beginning, you know, there was a lot of capabilities that I knew were unique to digital, things such as user experience design, which is much different, as we know, than just visual design. This isn't branding. 
this isn't marketing, this is UX. So something has to not only look good, but it has to perform well. And that takes time. And that takes a different skill set than just a visual designer. But that also takes other skill sets, such as usability testers, somebody who can get in front of a customer either directly or remotely, watch videos, write test scripts, facilitate a session with somebody to get feedback that then goes back to the UX designer. And then the UX designer has to be working with an engineer on a daily basis differently than we used to do in the past. So I've had to build up that that muscle within my group over time. And in the beginning, it was a bit of, I was selling them a service that they didn't know that they needed. But now we're at the point that we've done this you know, time and time and time again, and we're starting to put data in front of them. And because sometimes the pictures alone don't sell the story. Sometimes it's the data that shows it, especially when it's in production. If anything you've done, you've gone through this process, you put it in production and you're showing the results and they're better than what they had before, then people start to understand why you need to do this. And we've done it enough times now where the demand for these services is so great that I can't even keep up with it. That's one example of how we've been able to change the conversation a little bit. That's really exciting. It's it's funny that you mentioned data as a proof point because I found sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I and I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe it's my personality, but data is data is data, but it does seem like sometimes even that isn't isn't a proof point enough to convince. Have you found that ever? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you, would, you would think it is. And oddly enough, I, I don't think I started this journey as a data person. I, I really didn't. But now I, I, I like to have fun with it. I like to, I like to guess what the answer is going to be before we get the data. When you turn it into a game like that, it, it does a couple of things. It really sharpens people's thinking. And this is not just my team. This is business stakeholders. If we're going to test, for example two different designs of a, of a landing page. I want to know which design the business thinks is going to win. And I want to know what my team thinks is going to win. And what you find over time is that the first time you go through this game, most people will choose their preference, what matches their aesthetics and what they want. And then once you start doing this and you see the data from hundreds of users and you play the game again, what happens is people start thinking through other people's eyes. They start thinking, well, what does our customer want? What is our customer's aesthetic? And that's a, that's a way, that's a technique that I've used to get the business to think a little bit outside themselves. It's not about you as an individual. It's about our customers as a group of individuals. That's really powerful and really impressive as a digital leader to be able to do that. And I don't know, do you, do you place wagers on it, on top of it, make it real interesting? I, the bragging rights alone uh, are, are, are enough. <laughs> But, you know, I, I used to use a, a catchphrase that just to help drive it home to people. When I would start the game, I would say, I am not my audience. It's just that simple. I am not my audience. It's somebody else. Yeah. And, and that's a really important way to drive empathy. And I guess that kind of brings me to my last question. If a digital leader is struggling to leverage let's say the art of marketing and complexity of IT to really drive that experience for customers. Is there one piece of advice you'd give them to try and try and move that culture a little bit forward? I think I would use the word anticipate. And, and I know I've used it already, 
but you have to you have to anticipate across many many dimensions you have to anticipate what the customer is going to want you're going to have to anticipate where technology is going to go if you're going to move from a monolithic architectural structure to microservices or the industry is moving in that direction you have to anticipate that but you also have to anticipate your own business the company you work for where are they headed i can tell you that i've I've worked many, many times with my business stakeholders and I put together quick mock-ups or some way of, sh- of telling a story about what the future looks like. It could be three months from now or it could be three years from now. There have been a few digital initiatives that I've been showing you know, in the form of visual stories for over three years because I know it's coming. And so you just have to plant the seeds along the way, but you have to have a strong point of view. Like, even if you're a support group, like I mentioned before, you still need to lead and influence. And there's many, many different ways. Data sometimes does it, sometimes it doesn't. But the empathy that you mentioned earlier, you know, empathy for your customer is important, but empathy for your own business stakeholders is important because, you know, they have different pressures. They have P&Ls that they need to deliver. Sometimes digital doesn't. We just have expenses that we're trying to maintain, which is much different. Go on a sales call with some of your business development team and watch how they talk to your clients and watch how they talk to prospective clients. Their pressures are much different. And you wonder sometimes how they come back to us and they've sold something that that we now have to build and deliver. It's because of the pressures they're under. So it's the empathy and it's the anticipation across many dimensions that help you form your point of view Um, And then you have to find different ways of telling your story. I think that's great advice. Uh, We could all use that in our professional life, if not our personal lives as well, probably. But uh, and, and it is something that we keep hearing time and time again that, you know, to build a better business, it starts with empathy. And and certainly we've been hearing, especially in the past 15 months, uh, when everyone's working remotely, more and more about your business partnerships, your internal team partnerships, and, and how to build empathy to to continue to deliver. You know, the, the one part that I forgot about empathy is you have to have empathy for yourself. And I think people forget that. I think sometimes ego gets caught up in your day-to-day a little bit too often. When you're in digital and sometimes when you're in marketing, there are many people that play a part in the success or failure of your job. And sometimes they're doing things that you think should fall squarely within your own team. And it's very easy to get your your feathers ruffled as a result. But you have to let all that kind of fall to the side and say, we're here as a team trying to do something. If they want to help, that's great. If they're doing something you think you should do, then it really the only question is, are they doing it right or in the way that you would want it done? And if not, then you just help sway it. You help influence it differently. But how it gets done does matter. But the who doesn't matter as much as people think. So any leader there has to give themselves a break in this regard. Have empathy for the things that you're doing. Forgive yourself for things. And really, any good leader, it's just it's not about who does it. It's about just it getting done. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And just that alignment. And I think ego, we've talked a lot about that issue, especially in the marketing realm, to be honest with you. 
kind of that transition to from traditional brand marketing to getting more into data. And that can be controversial in some organizations. Is this really marketing? Is it more business intelligence? Am I still a marketer if I'm going into data? Can I be a marketer if I don't understand data? And there's been a lot of consternation in, in many marketers' hearts because of how that role has shifted. And I really like the way you've defined digital and marketing today, because I think it gives uh, those people something new to think about. But thank you so much, Robert, for your time today. I think this was a really informative conversation around what it takes to deliver digital today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Now it's time for our namesake segment, what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? Hey, Jim. Hey, Kim. So Robert had some pretty strong points of view on how digital and strategy leadership needs to operate. What do you think? Did he get some of those things right we might have been missing? Yeah, Kim, I I am so grateful that we had Robert on the show. He opened up a whole new category of ideas and topics that I think we're going to talk about for a long time, particularly... I think for me, kind of highlighting the whole idea of digital leadership and and what that might mean. It's really something that's kind of been on my mind and maybe didn't didn't realize it. But but first of all, I think just listening to the way Robert tells that story with such confidence and introspection, uh, it tells me that it's coming from a lot of experience. And I found myself relating his perspectives to probably a ten or twelve different digital client situations that I've had over the years. I heard him saying things that I thought to myself, wow, I've had clients thinking that while I was talking to them. He was giving some sentiment that I knew was on the face of other clients, you know? So it was great to kind of hear that. What I realized at the end of of your interview was, wow, that's empathy. That whole interview was an empathetic experience. Really? Yes, you're right. Yeah. So so that alone was really um, revealing to me. So the thing I really was intrigued by was his explanation of sort of the evolution of digital and strategy, you know, something we talk about a lot. The idea that if you go back to sort of the origin of digital and back when marketing was really just kind of a digital asset, right? Or digital marketing rather, as we as we knew it, was an asset and how it looked and you know, was it in the right place and less about what it did for a customer. And as that evolved, that's really how marketing and digital became so connected. And you see, you know, you see elements of this all the time. Clients ask the question, who owns a customer experience? Who owns mm-hmm. digital? I'm mm-hmm. finding myself wondering if that's even still a valid question. But then came strategy. So if when before digital, traditional marketing, when brand, okay, tightly related to the asset, was the strategy, get the brand right, good things will happen. And then, you know, we, we like to say when the experience became the brand, then strategy became a little more focused on performance and planning and predicting the future and and being prepared for ongoing changes. So I think you know that's something I think we're seeing a lot with our clients and it was yes. good to, to kind of have that validation. Yeah. I, if I may, just one other opinion about what I heard and that's around data. And I'm a bit of a data skeptic. You know, I think we all want to be data-driven, but sometimes data is not enough. I think Mark Twain said there's lies, damn lies and statistics, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, e- e- even the metric, you know, kind of needs to be part of the feedback. Yes. So, so I, I I do like that. And I realize, Kim, that needs to be a whole other episode. Definitely. Just around measurement and data and metrics and feedback and OKRs, objectives and key results. Like that, that's a whole topic and how to use that. So, so uh, I thought that was great. But Kim, what did you think? 
Yeah, I agree on his conciseness of the evolution of digital because what I my big takeaway it smacked me in the face. Digital is the future of marketing, and 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 he's kind of right. It's it's so interesting. It's this marriage, this really strong marriage or potentially strong marriage between the art of marketing and the complexity of IT, and and that is digital. I like that definition at a tactical level, and I love that. His definition of good digital leaders, one of the capabilities is the ability to anticipate, so, you know, being skilled in the art of anticipation. But I think what we kept hearing loud and clear was underneath it all, there must be empathy to be that connector, be that almost marriage counselor, if you will, between Mm -hmm. the two disciplines or between, you know, customers, business partners, prospects, C-suite, and even yourself, you know, you have to have empathy. I think that is something we might have been missing. Maybe it came across subtly in our other discussions around what is digital, what is strategy, because we talk a lot about culture and leadership, but we've never really hit empathy hard. And I think when it comes to, at the end of the day, delivering a good customer experience, it is all about empathy. And I think that's something we might have missed talking about explicitly. But what do you think? What's the what if here, Jim? Well, now I'm thinking, well, if we could measure empathy, you know, we just had data on empathy. Again, we're going down all kinds of rabbit holes here. <laughs> like then we would I know. know. Yeah, another thing that stuck out that kind of sets up my what if is I do think a lot of companies struggle with digital leadership. We all agree, and I think you and I have encountered more than once, and uh, even recently this week, to be honest, some really good, strong digital leaders, right? But more often, like even when there isn't a digital team or CDO, which is fine, like there's more than one way to do this, you end up with some imbalance, right? It's sort of this, it is sort of, leans marketing or it leans IT or it leans sales. It is a struggle. And I think there is a there is a valid reason for a sort of the digital leader. Um, but it's really got to be the right leader. I think outside of the CEO, it's hard to find another role that requires that much skill, knowledge, you know, soft skills, hard skills, experience, knowledge, relationship building, the ability to sell ideas and so on. You know, CEOs get pretty far on just raw leadership, but this is a unique role hard to find, sort of a unicorn. So I think it it does take a blend of talent and people. There is a yin and yang. You do need sort of like a Woody and Buzz or Bonnie and Clyde or Thelma and Louise. Just pick your chocolate peanut butter. Yeah, you you do need the right sort of balance. You know, you got to make a great story. And really just come back to something you just said, which is it's kind of a marriage. A great marriage brings out the best in each other. I had someone tell me that years ago and I thought I never forgot it. It was great advice. So I think... um, you know, the what if, the possibility for a lot of organizations, again, is, is, you know, first acknowledge that you need this leadership. And then what if I could get marketing and IT and, hey, while we're at it, sales, service, product, into marriage counseling? Mm-hmm. So, Kim, what, we're not marriage counselors, you know, but we've, but we've seen a <laughs> lot of relationships within companies. You know, what, what makes a good partnership? So, what if you did have this, then what? You're right. You're right. We are full disclosure. We are not marriage counselors. Yeah, we are not licensed. Uh, That's right. Marriage professionals. Yeah. But you know, I, I do think I agree. A lot of times we're put in the position of brokering difficult conversations between different business groups, different interested parties, different stakeholders. So I think the, the so what gets to the next level of 
that what is the digital question more specifically, what is a good digital leader? How do you define the soft skills and hard skills of a good digital leader? And maybe it is the same skills as a good marriage counselor. And I riffed a little off Robert's perspective here because I think it was spot on and concise. So no matter what organization you're in, as a good digital leader, I think you have to plant the seeds. You have to have a strong point of view. You do have to bring the data. I'm I'm still going to say you have to bring the data, but that's only one (laughs) input. You also have to bring the visual aids. And then using empathy, situational empathy, repeat, repeat, repeat until those seeds that you planted come to fruition and all of a sudden the organization's ready because that good digital leader had spent all that time using all those skills, having all those conversations, building empathy. And so when a crisis happens or when they need to respond quickly to the market shift, they're ready. They're ready to go. They have the data, they have the visual aids, they have all the other business groups on board and ready to move. But now what? Well, and they're ready to change. I love that ready, like ready for what? Well, we don't know. Right. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, that's, and that's what we, you know, we say a lot about agility, right? How do you go from empathy to alignment and agility? I mean, these are the really concrete elements that you see in when cli- our clients are successful. So I, yeah, I think, uh, I think building on that, the real question is what can you do today to build empathy within your own organization? And again, why this, why I loved this, this interview is because again, we are constantly talking to teams about customer empathy and understanding what your customers need and how learning how to anticipate them and, and recognizing, and we heard this from Robert, you know, when your, your preferences, you know, are sort of superseding what the client really wants, right? You have to take that bias out of the system mm-hmm. uh, as much as you can. But this is really to me about building empathy within your organization. He said a couple things that I hope stuck out to everybody else. One, they're hard to do, by the way. One is don't let your feathers get ruffled. Type A people, uh, people who are driving these complex systems and solutions and ideas and and trying to keep up with everybody. It's hard sometimes to not get your feathers ruffled. People take pride in their work and they do take it seriously. And that's, you know, sort of a who moved my cheese kind of a, a moment when, you know, like, oh, my idea didn't quite work out. You know, we A-B tested something and well, I thought it was going to go, but I guess we learned something, you know. So I think that's a, in a way, its own digital skill. And and the other thing I really loved was, you know, it's not about who does it. And that's an old one, right? Like, I think the phrase is when we don't care who gets the credit, imagine what you can get done and, you know, teamwork and there's no I in team, we can keep going. But I did like that he said, it matters how it gets done. And this is where I think you can start to build empathy in small increments. And another cliche, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. You know, we were with a client this week, Kim, you know, where we found, we kind of discovered some real gaps in their product management approach, I thought, right? And, yes. and we, yep. we have to kind of convince them of that, right? But I think a lot of it had to do with really not understanding what the other team is doing. And so, you know, I know early in my career, and I don't know how many companies do this today, but you would go on a rotation. I worked in a plant. I worked in one department. I worked on, in engineering. I worked in sales and service. I was on the service truck. You know, you did these rotations to really understand. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in that. I don't think that's going away. So, you know, I think if you can, you know, if you can do something today, take someone you're maybe you who ruffled your feathers and understand what they have to deal with. Shadow them for a couple of hours. 
ask them questions, you know, under, ask what worries them and you know, get, you know, get to know them at a different level. It's something I'm actually going to do. I think that's a uh, going to be an eye opener for a lot of people because this is this is something that is just not talked about enough. So it's great to have Robert on the show, and uh, it was a great interview, Kim. Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, completely, and I think just it's a great now what because I think you're right, and and Robert mentioned this too in the evolution of digital, where the mandate is speed and delivery. We have lost that art of empathy, you know, that focus on specialization versus a general, more general practitioner and starting to see that swing perhaps the other way in order to deliver faster, right? You can deliver faster if you know what all these other people would be thinking about and what would be concerned about without having to drag them into a meeting to talk about it. And and it all, yeah, it all comes back to, to building that empathy. And you don't need a three-month customer market research engagement to right. do that, right? I <laughs> unless you want, agree. Unless you really want one. But uh. <laughs> Well, thanks again, Jim, for the good conversation. Thanks again for Robert. And thanks to everyone for listening today. And until next time, keep asking, what if, so what? And most importantly, now what? You've been listening to What If, So What? The digital strategy podcast from Proficient with Jim Hertzfeld and Kim Chopek. We want to thank our proficient colleagues, J.D. Norman and Rick Bauer, for our music today. Subscribe to the podcast and don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at proficient.com. Thanks for listening.